You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. Good to see you all again. And if you're listening by podcast, we welcome you today to part three of this series, Whatever You Do. And this is coming out of a theme this year that is talking about being all in so that whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. That was what the Apostle Paul in the first century, one of the very first uh, followers of Jesus writing to the church in Corinth, he said to them, hey, no matter what it is that you do, do it for the glory of God. And so in this specific series, we've been talking about when we're all in for Jesus, we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, what implication does that have for us as it relates to our words, as it relates to our time, Next week, we're going to talk about how it relates to our relationships and interacting with one another on an interpersonal level. And then on Labor Day weekend, we're going to talk about what it means to work for the glory of God. And no matter what it is that we do, whether that we, we've bought into that idea that some things are sacred and some things are secular, we would submit to you that all things, if done for the glory of God, are sacred. And so today, it's my distinct privilege and honor to talk about our bodies, And I say that with a bit of facetiousness, because as I stand up here today, and if you want to turn in your Riverside app, as Michael mentioned, you can follow along there. If you want to grab a Bible, there are some in the chairs down there below you. Um, This is a bit of a topical message, so we're going to be kind of in various numerous texts in the New Testament, but... But uh, and in the Old Testament for that matter. But I can tell you that my own insecurity about my own body is just raging right now. And I know that I am only able today to speak from the word of God about this because I have not arrived in every arena that we're going to be talking about today. Can we just understand that as I get up here? And after we're done and you're walking out, you'll be like, man, I am so glad I didn't have to get up there and do what David did today. So we're gonna talk about my bod for the glory of God. And if you're brand new to scripture or you're brand new to maybe being a follower of Jesus, there's a theme and a thread that runs through that Christians often uh, have a different perspective regarding our body than the rest of the world. And so if you're kind of new to this and you kind of heard some things, today may actually confirm some of your suspicions about what followers of Jesus actually believe about our bodies. Others of you, you'll be like, no way, seriously, they actually believe that. And for those of us who are Christians, we're going to squirm today because the stuff that we're talking about applies to our bodies, and it applies to how we live out so that whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. Now, as we talk about this, I want to simply ask the question right out of the gate, how can I use my body or how can I use my bod for the glory of God? Today in our society, our bodies are viewed, they are presented, they are talked about, and they are certainly sung about as well, like a commodity. And I want to reveal today the danger of that mindset as we embrace a biblical view of our bodies. So what is a commodity? When you think about a commodity, what is a commodity? Well, that device that you're looking on right now, that's a commodity. The cars that you drove today as you came in, are a commodity. The clothes that you're wearing are a commodity. The watch that you have on your arm is a commodity. Anything, basically, a commodity is something of value 
that we use until we want to trade it in for something of greater value. A commodity is something many times that we're actually not too attached to. For some of us, we are attached to, really attached to some of our commodities, but a lot of times it's something that we're not too attached to and we use it until we're done with it and then we move on to something else. And the message that we get in our culture today is that our bodies are a commodity. The underlying message of our culture and our world is take me, use me, do whatever you want to with me, and then trade me in. And then we go on to someone else. We see this in movies, don't we? We see it on the web. We see it in magazines, and we hear it in the lyrics to the songs that we listen to. And the subtle message, again, is use me and then discard me. And the result is a culture, is a world that we live in today in 2019 that devalues men, that devalues women, that devalues students, that devalues children, and yes, even devalues the unborn in every way imaginable. And the ideas that I'm going to share with you today may seem outdated to you. They may seem weird to you. And that's okay because they were 2,000 years ago when Jesus spoke into culture, when the apostle Paul spoke into culture, when the apostle Peter spoke into the culture of the first century. They were as weird and strange as they may sound to you if you're not coming from a Christian context People back in the first century were commodities. They were treated as property. Prostitution was legal and it was encouraged. Slaves could be done with by their masters, whatever they wanted, however they wanted. And there was an epidemic of mistreatment of anyone who wasn't in power or who wasn't at the top of society. They had no voice and they had no status. And into all of that chaos, Jesus Peter and Paul spoke, and their statements were staggering. They elevated the worth of people to levels that they had never experienced. And because of that, people began to hear this message of this Jesus, this Jewish rabbi. And whether you found yourselves in a Jewish context or in a Gentile context, it was a message of worth, it was a message of value, and people started to flock literally by the thousands to the church, and they found a new sense of worth, and they found a new sense of equality like never before. Now, it's interesting, Jesus gets the ball rolling, but as I knew that we were going to be speaking about this subject matter today, I started to look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of the life of Jesus, and it's fascinating how silent Jesus is on the subject of our bodies. And as I research that, because when you get to after the resurrection, now it's a ton about our bodies and what we do with our bodies. And I believe that the central reason for that, now Jesus does speak a couple times, we'll, we'll hear a little bit about that in just a little bit, but very compared to Paul and Peter and the others, he's very silent about the issue of the body and especially some of the issues that we're going to talk about today. And I believe that's because Jesus was speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. 
and they were all on the same page regarding their body. But then you take this Jesus and his message and you bring this into a pagan Gentile culture and everything was changing. And there was a ton of instruction about how to handle our bodies and how do we, how do we live in such a way that our body is used for the glory of God. So Jesus gets the ball rolling and he apply, if we can apply something that you've heard many times, it actually has a huge impact with regard to how we treat our bodies, but also how we treat the bodies of the people in front of us, behind us, on our left, and on our right in this room today. And as you head out this week, let's look at what Jesus begins to say in John chapter 13. He says, on the night actually of his betrayal, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, that was not the new command. The new command was, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus says that night, he says, give equal honor, give equal love, equal respect to one another, regardless of their age, their race, their gender, or their economic status. This new thing that was happening, this new thing that Jesus was birthing would revolutionize society in ways that we take for granted here 2,000 years later. This idea of bringing value and worth to all of humanity. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We are supposed to love one another as he has loved us. That's, in essence, the message of what Jesus was trying to get across to us. And this is difficult in our world today without the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can tolerate one another. We can like one another. We can certainly lust after one another. But Jesus says none of those things. He says love one another. And that is catalyzed and infused by the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to be able to live that challenging invitation, that challenging command out. Now, Jesus, again, first century Jewish man, a rabbi reaching a Jewish nation, but giving good news for all of humanity, was informed by the Hebrew scriptures. And his comments were as a result of the conviction that he had that everyone is made in the image of God. We have inherent merit, we have inherent worth, we have inherent significance, and even at conception, we have this um, worth and value. Notice what Jesus says, in, uh, or what the scriptures say that informed Jesus in Genesis chapter one. Let us make human beings, this is God talking in our image, to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You begin to hear and begin to see the picture of the worth and the value. The person next to you, the person that you're in a relationship with, the person that you're working alongside, that may be tough to actually love, like we're talking about, that person was made as were you in the image of God. Therefore, they have inherent merit, worth, significance. In Psalm 139, we continue to see this idea developed as a psalmist, right? For you created, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden when I was made in the secret place and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body all 
the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Those verses and a myriad of other ones informed Jesus' perspective and certainly inform our perspective today, 2,000 years later, of the worth and the value of the people around us. And our bodies are very much a part of that. So if you've slipped into a version of Christianity that just thinks about your spirit, you need to realize that you are a spirit that is housed in a body and how you handle your body is of eternal significance because we were made for eternity. Paul came along and he contextualized this for the first followers of Jesus who were Gentiles. Notice what he writes to the church in Rome. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I want you to begin to notice the word offer here because it's gonna really jump out at us. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you know, or so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Do you catch it right there? Do you see that we have a choice every single day of our lives? We have a choice as to what we do with our bodies. Can you see that? They are an offering. It's an Old Testament kind of a language. In that sacrificial system, Paul is borrowing from that and he's bringing that into this pagan culture. And they were used to seeing offerings made of all kinds, shapes and sizes, some hideous kinds of offering in the first century. But every day we have a choice to make an offering to sin or to God every single day. And he has given us the freedom to choose to offer ourselves to sin as instruments of wickedness or offer ourselves to our heavenly father as instruments of righteousness. And he's given us the game plan for how we're to live so that at the end of our lives, whatever we have done with our bod will be to the glory of our God. Paul continues that idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where he writes there, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Now, a temple was a place that was a very sacred place, but Paul's taking it from a building and he's taking it from a location and he's saying, you know what? After the resurrection, since the Holy Spirit lives within us, we now, our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that no matter where we go, no matter to the highest high mountain or to the lowest valley, to the depths, to the dark shadows, we can't get away from the Holy Spirit. He's there with us all the time. And so our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Now, for those of you who maybe are new to Jesus or new to this message of Christianity, this is the central message right here. You're bought with a price. You have been redeemed, body, soul, mind, spirit, all of it, because of what Christ did at the cross in defeating death, hell, and the grave and raising back to life again and sending his Holy Spirit. He now, when we come to faith in him, he now owns us. He paid the price so that then Paul says, 
with a tremendous conviction. Therefore, because you are not your own, therefore, because God's love compelled him to buy you back from your brokenness, from your darkness, from sin, and from the sin that so easily entangles us. Therefore, Paul says, honor God with your body. Honor him with that. Esteem him, value him and what he did for you by what you do with this body. Peter was so impacted by all of this as a Jewish man and by the teachings of Christ that he penned some amazing words in 1 Peter chapter one. In fact, just to make sure you're still with me, would you please stand in honor as we read this text? Move those bodies around a little bit. How are we doing? All right, okay, here we go. Just follow along. I'm just gonna read it out loud here, but 1 Peter chapter one, prepare your minds. And we're gonna unpack what that means because our minds, if you will, are the Normandy of our bodies. They are the beachhead of our bodies. And if we can win the battle in our minds, then our bodies follow it. So Paul says, prepare your minds for action. We're going to do something with what it is that he's about to say and what what it is that we're hearing today. We're going to do something with that and exercise self-control. One of those nine wonderful, beautiful fruit of the spirit that we're given as followers of Christ. We, so we practice this exercising of self-control, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. There's an assumption that as followers, we're going to actually live in such a way that we are submitted to Christ, submitted to our heavenly father as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy. And oh my goodness, we get all bent out of shape about what in the world does holy mean. Holy simply means set apart. It means set apart for the work and the purposes and the plans of God. You may equate holiness with perfection, and man, that'd be awesome, but that's not exactly what holiness means. For God, that's what that means, but for you and I, it means we're set apart. We're dedicated unto him. Be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you, he is always the initiator, he chose you as holy. For the scriptures say, and then he quotes numerous times in the book of Leviticus. Peter pulls right out of Leviticus and he slaps it right in here into this first century letter. You must be holy because I am holy. Be holy, be set apart. And the bottom line is that in every area of our lives, we're called upon to pay attention to our bod and the welfare of the bodies of others. We're accountable We're accountable, we're accountable to Jesus. If we're followers of Christ, we're accountable to Jesus for this stuff. So what does it mean when it says there, prepare your minds? What does it mean as it relates to how we use our bodies, to how we live in such a way and view our bodies? You may have a seat and we'll answer that question. Two things. When I think about what it means to prepare your mind, the first one, is that we have to renew our mind to think differently. This is the internal work. The Spirit of God begins to help us to renew our mind so that we can actually think about our bodies 
differently. It's an internal work. Listen to what Romans chapter 12 has to say. Dear brothers and sisters, he says, I plead, I beg of you. I will stand in front of of a train for you on this. I'll do whatever I possibly can. I'm begging and pleading with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to notice this, to worship him. So notice the connection that the apostle makes between worship and our bodies and the offering of our bodies and how that is an act of our worship. It's not just singing songs on a Sunday morning. It's what we do with our bodies all week long. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way that you, help me out, think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, I'll say it again. Worship is not about what we do on Sundays in a building. It's wonderful. We enjoy it. I look forward to it all week long. But everything that we do is an act of worship. And we're either worshiping us or we're worshiping our God. We either act, it's either an act of worship to God or worship of ourselves. What we do with our bodies matters. And in practical terms, this impacts what we eat, how much we eat, or how little we eat. So this has implications for where you're headed for breakfast or brunch or lunch today and how much you're going to eat and whether you're going to belly on up to the all-you-can-eat buffet or not, okay? Are you with me? No, you're not. Okay, we'll move on. It impacts how much we sleep. It impacts what we drink, how and with whom we enjoy sex, where we work, how we work, with whom we serve. All of those are matters of worship, ways of expressing our love to Jesus. So our minds, hear me on this, our minds can't be renewed if what we consume, what we read, what we listen to, and what we engage with is continually devaluing or dehumanizing the work and the worth of others. We cannot tolerate the labeling of others. In fact, some of us, we need to do some media, social media work here. We need to get rid of some stuff on our social media. We need to stop following some people or stop engaging with some content that just devalues and dehumanizes the worth of others. We've seen this throughout history. Do you remember in Rwanda when the Hutus decided that the Tutsis were cockroaches and 800,000 people were murdered in genocide? In Nazi Germany, Jewish women were whores or rats, and they were to be exterminated. That's how they labeled the people that were there. And in our country, certainly, in the, what happened when we first came with the American Indians and the Civil War and civil rights and all the stuff that we've experienced down through the history, when there is a devaluing, when there is a dehumanizing, when there is a labeling of people, then certainly we cannot fulfill the call of God on our lives to treat others and their bodies as well as ourselves the kind of way that Jesus would want us to. Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter five and he tells us that this idea of purity, this idea of holiness actually is what paves the pathway to intimacy 
with our heavenly Father. Notice what he says. Blessed are the, help me out, are the what? Pure in heart, for they will see God. There's a direct correlation to our purity, to our set-asideness, our holiness, and our capacity to see God, his Holy Spirit, and the work around us. That's why Jesus walked the way that he did. He kept his eyes laser-focused on what was going on with the Father around him. He could see that because he was set apart, and he's inviting that for you and for me today. And in our culture, erotic imagery is stealing our purity at an unprecedented rate. Every time we engage with pornography, we are at school. What are we learning when we engage with pornography? We're learning three things. That a real body is not good enough. That one body isn't good enough. And that our spouses, if we're married, our spouse's body is not good enough. This school sets us up for extraordinary disappointment. Check out now from that school. I plead with you as one of your pastors. Flee from it. Flee sexual immorality. Don't think, again, maybe you're coming from a perspective where, hey, I kind of think porn might actually add something to my life or might add something to my relationship or my marriage. I would submit to you that during World War II, The government gave the GIs as many cigarettes as they could smoke, and guess what? They developed lung cancer. In our day, pornography is distributed widely, and it's studies, when you study this stuff, there are studies being released that when you engage in that, if you spend enough time at that school learning those three lessons, that one body isn't enough, a real body isn't enough, and my spouse's body isn't enough, When you learn that over and over and over, something chemically changes in our brains. It's a drug that deadens our desire for a real body and a real person. And this is an opportunity for you to be able to get help. Jesus took this so seriously that when he did speak to this issue, he said, you've heard it said that to to commit adultery is, is a bad thing that you shouldn't commit adultery. But Jesus takes it on further and he brings it right into the reality that when we look lustfully upon one another, that it's the same thing. And it's this idea that what, and then Jesus goes on and he says, hey, this is such a serious issue. This is such an important issue that if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes are causing you to sin, gouge them out. He says, no matter what you have to do, get help. This isn't just a pastime. It's a pathway and it leads to destruction. And my heart is heavy for our world and for us today. This stuff will destroy you. It will erode your marriages. It will erode your friendships. It will erode the culture of your life and your family. It leads you to view people as a commodity, something that you can use for a season and then discard and trade up and get a newer, better model. If we view our bodies as an instrument to please ourselves, We'll do our own thing, won't we? I mean, every time. We'll, we'll do what feels good to us. We'll do what feels right to us. But if we know that our body is a gift from God for which we are responsible 
to him. We will use it to worship him and to bring him honor and glory. And embracing this view of your body will change everything. And I have to lean into the Holy Spirit's help. You can't do this by just pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. In fact, the scriptures teach that we are to repent and we are to seek forgiveness from our heavenly father. But it over and over and over again teaches us to confess our sins to one another. I'm not talking about the confessional booth where you're absolved. I'm talking about confessing to your heavenly father to get forgiveness, but sharing your struggles with your body to someone else so that you're not alone. Because if you just keep doing it over and over and over again to God, he's not telling anybody. (laughs) You just keep having that experience where you just keep confessing to God, but you need the help of another human being. That's why God's given us the body of Christ, the family of God, to be able to share those struggles, to confess our sins to one another so that we might be healed spiritually. So we have to renew our mind to think differently. That's the internal. But also there's an external aspect to this. We have to make up our mind to behave differently. It starts internally. And when the spirit of Jesus lives within us, he's looking around in all the nooks and the crannies and the dark spots of our lives. And it infiltrates into this idea of how we view our body. And then we begin to shift to say, hey, something's different about who I am. My body now will be different as a result. And others will notice how you behave differently with the use of your body when you have renewed your mind and you've made up your mind to do something different with your body and change the habit. So you know the sin that we never talk about? You know the, the idea in the scriptures that just is almost never talked about? It's gluttony. And it's in some of the lists of the most scary other things, but gluttony. I want to invite you and encourage you to make the consumption of your food a matter of your daily prayers. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to invite you to think about and pray about the amount of sleep that you're getting. Some of you, you need to go to bed earlier. Don't raise your hand, but you know it's you. Others of you, you need to exercise. You need to start today. You need to do something. You may not have a whole plan, but you need to begin to get your body in motion because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to acknowledge the addictive patterns, the alcohol, the substances, the pornography. You've got to be intentional about honoring the bodies of others as well. In fact, all sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage is sin, and that includes living with someone that you're not married to. In fact, I heard a pastor, his name's Andy Stanley, he said it this way this week in a message I heard, romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Let me say that one more time. Romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. The fans of Jesus They don't pay attention to how they're doing with their body. They don't pay attention to these things that we're talking about to hear, but followers of Jesus pay attention to this and they outwardly live in such a way that they honor Christ and how we live this stuff out with the Holy Spirit within us. He's the one that enables us and grants us this capacity. We close and you're grateful. We close with these wise personal instructions from a man, Paul, in the first century, writing to a young pastor that he was trying to help, Paul to Timothy, 
when he wrote these words, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Encourage older men as you would your own father. Treat younger women, or excuse me, younger men as you would your own brother and treat older women as you would your own mother. Show the same respect to younger women that you would to your sister. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. So if you're gonna pursue a righteous and godly life, at the end of the day, how do you live in such a way that your bod is for the glory of God? You treat everybody that you're not married to as your family, your dad, your mom, your brother, and your sister. And then when you get married within the confines of marriage, you treat each other as husband and wife with all respect and all honor. And that is the high calling of a follower of Jesus. It's a dying to yourself every day. It's self-denial. It's picking up your own cross every day. And it is hard. So what changes do you need to make? What changes do I need to make so that my bod is used for the glory of God? I've been living this for weeks. I ate a brownie the other day and felt guilty. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with eating a brownie. It's probably the fifth or sixth brownie where it starts to enter the wrong phase, right? <laughs> Worship team, if you'd come back, I wanna pray with you today. And again, hear my heart on this. I did not come here today to beat anybody over the head. But I came today to love you enough to tell you what the scriptures say about how to live in such a way so that at the end of your life, your body is used for the glory of God. Could I just get a quick acknowledgement that I'm not the only one that's been convicted by this? Thank you. So alone. Up, feels very alone up here sometimes. As we go to God in prayer, who in your world is hoping that you'll get to work on something that you've heard today? Who do you need to talk with? Students, who do you need to go see? What nexus leader? What conversation do you need to have? Pastor Donnie's right back there. You can all go talk to him. He has every answer that you ever need about how to glorify God with your body. Adults, parents, grandparents, students in this room need to see us modeling this first and foremost. Those kids in the nursery, those kids in preschool and elementary, they're gonna know or not know how to live so that their bod is for the glory of God by what they see in us. And we may not be perfect, and I am not here to condemn you. I'm here to pray with you and for you. But I'm here to challenge you as well to step up. And there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so you don't have to walk out of here like God's angry at you. But you can walk out if you're saying, Heavenly Father, let's talk. And let's apply what it is that we've heard today. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you may go, well, 
got nothing, don't want anything to do with that. Here's what I can tell you. This may be difficult, but in the long run, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and decade after decade, living like this is a freedom. God knew how you needed to live in freedom. And living like this with your bod for the glory of God is freeing. It's actually not shackled. It's freedom. Father, Thank you for breathing a fresh breath into our souls today. Thank you for helping us to catch a glimpse of whatever way in our own lives we might be viewing our own bodies as a commodity that we can just live and use and abuse. And then you'll give us a new one and we get to pitch it someday. Thank you for revealing that error in judgment, error in perspective of our own bodies. Thank you for revealing to us in whatever way, man, woman, young, old, no matter where we might find ourselves in this place, that we might be viewing others as a commodity, something that we can just use and then pitch, something that we can just consume and then trade it in for something different. Forgive us for that, I pray. Cleanse us. Give us a breakthrough, a freedom from living and viewing others that way. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for our bodies. We praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for accepting us and loving us and showing us how much you view our bodies and how much you value highly our bodies. You bought us with a precious price you redeemed our broken souls and you're redeeming and want to continue to redeem our bodies throughout the course of this life. Though they are broken, though they will never be what our glorified bodies will be, would you help us to partner with you so that our conviction, our core conviction is that there is a temple within us where you reside. We accept as truth that our bodies are very good we offer our bodies back to you as an instrument of righteousness. May what we do with our bodies honor you from this day forward. We need your help as we learn how to do that. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.